0: Before this, I never sat in a writer's room. And I love that Rabia lets me do that. And I think it, it helps me do a better job at producing the show because I know what is happening and what they're thinking. And then I can in turn make hopefully Rabia's job easier and life easier because I can anticipate things and take care of something over here when she's too busy in the room. And so it works really well, I think, and because we like being a part of it all. Um, but also know that it's really hard to be everywhere at once. And so one of the hardest things about our job is when we have to be apart and one of us has to do one thing while the other does the other, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, for the most part it is, cause it is, you know, for anybody who's been in this position or any of our positions, including yours, Pete, there's so much work to do and there are so many things to get done that it really is such a
1: collaboration that that's no joke. Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is a podcast on directing for anybody that's quite simply ever watched anything. Pete converses with a wide range of fellow directors, writers, actors, showrunners, producers, executives, and more on a journey to determine just what makes a good director and why we'll always need stories. The Director is Pete Chapman's digital studio, built on the pillars of craftsmanship that ensure a unique vision. I'm talking about story, innovation, perspective. Learn more about the director, and better yet, get your official director's chair wear by visiting www.drctr.video. That's drctr.vi.deo. All right,
2: what's up, everybody? This is Pete Chapman welcoming you to episode seven of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman, everybody's favorite film, TV, creative podcast. Um, today, we welcome from the Netflix show, Atypical, which is a Sony production, the creator, Rabia Rashid, and executive producer, Mary Rolick. Uh, we get into a great conversation about how they work together, something I, I had never been totally familiar on, so I wanted to explore that and get a sense of their collaboration what they look for when they hire directors, how they navigated the industry to get to this point, and really just uh, catch up, because it's been a while since I last saw them. I met Rabia and Mary, and I don't know if I've ever shared this with them, but they were the first show that I directed that I did not previously shadow. So I directed episode 208 of A Typical, the title of, uh, title of that episode is Living at an Angle, and what was really beautiful about it was that everybody was welcoming. Perhaps I was more, uh, more nervous about being somewhere new than uh, they were about having someone new, but it was a great experience. I love that show, and this interview was conducted while they were in and remain in the writing room for season four. We recorded this in early July, It is a three-person Zoom, so pardon any uh, technical challenges with that, and I will see you on the other side.
1: Roll sound. Speed. The interview. Take one.
2: Welcome to the podcast, Rabia and Mary. uh, How are you guys doing today? How are you ladies doing today?
1: Good.
3: I mean, you know, fine. It's a pandemic.
0: Yeah. All things that, considered, doing well.
2: <laughs> it's it's like the toughest question to answer these days because it's it's very weird to be like great because you're not great, but like you're trying to manage and and make the most out of a crazy situation. Um how how are things like affecting work if at all, like from the quarantine to to the racial reckoning to everything that's uh going on this this day right here.
3: I think one of the biggest issues is having the kids home. Um, I have a I have a seven month old who's fine. Like I could work all day with him around, but I have a five year old who makes it very difficult to uh, get work done. He ran into the office the other day when the writers were on the Zoom and he had um, a mullet. He had cut his hair. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he had short, short bangs. And like strings, like long pieces. He had he had long hair, and it was it was yeah, it looked great.
1: It did look kind of cool.
0: It was
3: cool. It was very hip. He also had like good delivery. Like he didn't tell us right away. He just sort of walked like sauntered in, kind of kind of cool. He like even knocked, which we've been working on. And I had to say, did you cut your hair? And then he was really excited to tell us about it. Yeah, he he, like presented it to the writers' room.
2: That, and how old is he? Five. Five. All right. Well, I I might need a haircut, so I'll be I'll be reaching out.
3: Yeah, I mean, I was tempted. He often. But <laughs> he has these little. It was the baby nail scissors that he used. They're really small. It would take forever. <laughs> Grown up pair.
2: And and how about you, Mary?
0: You know, it's. I mean, it's definitely weird, because I think part of it is that we, in some ways, because we are working, we're we're in the middle of writing season four for Atypical, and started it at the very beginning of staying home. And I think one of the weirdest parts is that you sort of have to act like things are normal, even though they're completely not. And I think um, on top of the pandemic, the racial issues that are going on in our country. There's sort of just this, not only do you want to participate in it and be a part of that conversation and that movement, but it's sort of like this underlying, and Robbie and I talk about this a lot, like there is just this feeling all around you all the time, emotions and stress and anxiety and like all of that is happening at the same time that you're supposed to just be working and for, you know, Me Too parenting and, I don't know surviving, so it's definitely a lot of yeah. things happening at once, which is yeah, very it, strange.
2: It's 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 very interesting because there's like that um, that adage uh, or saying like sunlight is the best disinfectant, and mm. it's interesting to have. I mean, the sun is very bright right now <laughs> on a lot of issues, and it's it's a kind of reminder that these i things that we kind of, be, like normalcy is never even normal, you know? Like right. this idea of like, oh, we go to work and we just shoot here back and forth and everything's fine. Like it, it's on such a, a thin line that it can clearly just all go away um, at a moment's notice. So you kind of start finding the importance in family and doing work that you love and uh, spending time with the people you love, so. Um, that leads me to my next question though actually how How did you two meet each other?
3: Speaking of the people you love <laughs> uh, we met on this this show brought us together we yeah. um we met over we our first meeting was for this show and so it really hasn't been that long. It's been five years is that right? I know feels like although yeah, forever, but yeah.
2: TV yeah. years are like, are like dog years, though. <laughs>
0: yes. We've, uh, we've been through... Um, there have been a lot of babies born on, during the show. It's like every season... I was pregnant season one, and then Rabia season three. The, you know, our Sony... I don't know. It's just kind of a weird way of looking at time, too, and family and the things that are important while you're creating something and making something together. Yeah.
3: I, yeah, I wasn't even pregnant with my five-year-old. When I wrote the pilot, yeah. yeah, I always think in terms of babies and which baby was born when, and yeah, right.
2: <laughs> so that's interesting because I, I tried to do like a little investigative uh, research um, by the name of Google, and my my I thought I I, I had deducted that you must have met on the Goldbergs, but that that didn't you guys didn't cross paths at, at, at the, on that no, show f-
3: Google. Um, it emphasizes the importance of the Goldbergs in my life a little bit more than it actually was because I was pregnant with my first son the only season that I worked on that show and so I left mm-hmm. after a couple months and Mary was sort of busy with other things so we we might have crossed paths like we might have like walked hallway, past each other maybe. in the hallway but I, yeah. I also believe I was three days a week and so I was three days a week for only a few months but... Google and Google seems to think the Goldbergs was more. Uh... I have the same. I have the same thing because the Goldbergs. I was around
0: for the pilot episode of that. Um, the company that I worked with, you know, Seth did the pilot of that, and um, but then I kind of I wasn't involved in that show on a day to day like I am on Atypical. So even for me, yeah, I cool. feel like yeah, IMDb and Google are a little overemphasizing the Goldbergs. <laughs> so we really we bring our, our relationship is really from Atypical.
3: I had Not, a Sony deal, so when I um, when I was waiting to find out if I was um, if the show was going to get picked up by Netflix, I uh, did one day a week at the Goldberg's, and it was it was the running joke about how useless it is to have <laughs> a writer one day. <laughs> they made me an award that said best writer one day a week.
2: <laughs> did, I, I imagine when you showed up, like just all fresh ideas, you, you were like a pinch hitter. Oh, yeah. Like a designated hitter.
3: I was more like um, when you bring a dog to a hospital. <laughs> I was like joy oh and happiness, you know, like a therapy dog. Oh, like I was, oh, I oh, came you know, in you know, a, you know, no, not a dog hospital, no, 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 no. Like a therapy okay. dog for like kids or something. Gotcha. Like I was like all like excited and I brought cupcakes or cookies every time. Like I always had a snack with me. I was right, happy. Right. They were like <laughs> tired and working hard and I always had energy and yeah. Not a dog hospital, Mary. I don't know, I went to a dark place. Look, we're in a <laughs> pandemic, it happens all the
2: time. <laughs> that's where, that's the knee jerk at, at this point. Yeah. Um, so I, I like to ask everyone, what was the first story that had an impact on you? Like when you, like whether it was a book or like something that happened and you were like, wow, look at the power of of weaving a narrative or like, um, uh, Uh, relaying your day in an interesting way, you know? Like, what would that be for both of you?
3: I had two things that came into mind. Um, One, I'll do the, the, this one chronologically came later, but um, it was To Kill a Mockingbird. So we did the, we read it and I was, I just loved it so much. And then I played Atticus Finch in our class (laughs) Because I was tall and skinny or something. I don't know. <laughs> also the brownest person, but it certainly makes sense. But, uh, and I, uh, there was something so cool to me about how you can say something that means something, but it's also like really engaging. Like it was, it didn't, that book doesn't feel preachy or um, like, like it's, like it has a message. It just feels like a really wonderful story and uh, right. and and that I think the the sort of beauty of that story really appealed to me and then uh, the other one was when I was little I in second grade I did a I rewrote um Hansel and Gretel as a play for the kindergartners and I performed it with my brother and my best friend and some neighborhood kids we like my mom had to like call the teacher and and get them to like Set aside sometimes that I could go in and you know, and I was the director and the witch, and uh, and I think there's something about fairy tales and that like sort of um, villain, like good guys, bad guys, the clarity of storytelling, the sort of structure of it that like really mm-hmm. appealed to this kind of this part of me that's both creative but also likes rules. Um, mm-hmm. So there was something that, there that I really, that really like, kind of captured my imagination, and I That's think awesome. in some ways both of those stories have have they have such clear drives and they have such clear good guys and bad guys and they're just it's it's um, I don't know you know it's two very different examples. <laughs>
2: yeah, no, but they, I, I, I want to come back to that later. But it it makes sense because it when you think about the show when you think about atypical, there's like. Um, there's a theatricality to it in the sense of, of the character exploration. And I think that sounds like it was maybe spurred from what excited you early on about about story. Hmm. Just a guess, I don't know. I love that. <laughs> um, what about you, Mary?
0: Um, it's such a hard <laughs> question. It's such a great question. But, you know, um, for me... I actually think, because I, I remember reading books a lot as a kid and stories and always being drawn to them, but I think my, like what, where I got really excited and emotional and transformed to another place is when I, my dad as a kid, when I was a kid, he would take me to different musicals and um and I grew up in Iowa and we, there were incredible musicals that would come around and I went and saw... Um, the two that I remember the most were Tommy and the Buddy Holly story. And I, and I, you know, I, there's something about being in a theater that when things are happening live for me that I, I just, even now, you know, I can't get enough of it. It's sort of like magical. Um, and the fact that both, you know, the musical elements to them, um, the Buddy Holly story, you know, based on someone real that I could go home and listen to his music and learn about his story I don't know I felt like seeing somebody's real life in that way really affected me as a kid um and I think still does like when I see documentaries or I think that's where I get like a I just can't I I don't know it's like I have a real reaction and a connection when I see something like that and those are kind of when I was younger the the two that I remember most um and then later in life there were other movies and things but those are kind of the ones
2: Right, the seminal kind of moments. Yeah. And so, en route to uh, the that fateful day where you both met, um, what kind of, what was the path uh, up until that time? I know that, uh, I know you had done a featured documentary, and I know, uh, Rabia, you were working uh, for, was it a teacher had read some of your writing and it got you to Will and Grace or something like that? Um, what was, what was your, what were the lean years for you as you guys were journeying to the place where you are now?
3: Do you want to go Go first, Mary? Go Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, well, I, after college, I worked in a nonprofit, um, for, well, no, first I worked, uh, first I worked at a restaurant and I, it got me a little nutty and my friends (sighs) did an intervention at a certain point and they were like, you got to stop because the hours were so crazy and I I, I like you know you start you turn be kind of a little nocturnal and some people are do that well. My brother does that well. He's worked in restaurants for years, but I I started to kind of lose it. And my friends had an intervention. It was just a few months. Um, but I actually have waitressed a lot in my life, but uh, I'm not good at it. <laughs> I'm really bad at it. I have these little skinny arms and I'm pretty uncoordinated. Um, <laughs> And then I spent four years working in a nonprofit called the Posse Foundation, which was uh, we would find groups of students, juniors in high school. We and a college, so I worked with three different colleges, would choose 10 kids from all different high schools all over the same city. So I was in Boston. And uh, all 10 kids, sometimes it was 12, sometimes it was 10 would get full year, full four year, full tuition scholarships to this college. So, it, and there would be a group of them. So then that would happen their junior year and then their senior year, I would meet with them every single week and kind of help them build mm-hmm. like uh, as a group. And then they would go off to college and then I would go twice a semester to see them and, have, and run these retreats. So I'd run these like 150 person retreats. So I was training the high school kids, and then I would visit the college kids. I was doing six of those visits a semester, and wow. then I was running these big group retreats. So I did that for four years, and it was it was really cool, and it was actually really good training for show running. Uh, it like running groups has came really naturally to me, and I spent most of my life as a kid writing. So writing is like the thing that I always did. Um, working at the nonprofit really was working this like group running muscle that i didn't know i would need but and then i um went to grad school at nyu i had a teacher who submitted something i wrote to the showrunners at will and grace and uh that was uh, that was the final final season of the first time will and grace happened <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh and then i just wrote in I kept writing in TV comedy. I loved it so much. And I did network comedy for 10 years before um, Atypical.
2: Wow. And Mary, what about you? So you wait, and you said you grew up in Iowa, but where was that where you went to school, like in your formative years or?
0: I, so I grew up in Iowa. I moved um, in the middle of high school. My family moved to Massachusetts. And so I had three years of high school in Massachusetts. And then I went to college at University of Wisconsin in Madison. And then I came out to LA. And I, I um, had done an internship in between my junior and senior year of college just to see. I'd never been to LA before. And so I wanted to see what it was like and if I could live here. And so I came out and interned in development at MGM which was great because once I graduated, I started temping at MGM as a receptionist, and um, that was my first job out here, and eventually worked my way up to be an assistant in development in features. And I worked in feature development as an assistant for four years. I went from MGM to Columbia Pictures, and then um, I was on, you know, as an assistant, you listen in on your boss's phone calls a lot to like take yeah. notes or catch what's going on. and. Every time a producer would call, I'd be like, I want to be on that end of the phone. I want to do what they're doing and, you know, be on set and be working with the writers and directors and actors or just be a part of making it once, um, you know, you kind of have the script and are ready for it to go. Um, and so then I ended up working uh, with a director, Seth Gordon, and um, went to go work on a movie with him called Four Christmases. And from there, we, over the next 10 years, you know, built a company together and had multiple feature films as well as TV shows and um, did a few documentaries. And then uh, when when I was working on Atypical, I was really wanting to make a change and kind of was feeling like I wanted to, in some ways, kind of scale back and be more hands-on with fewer projects and kind of figure out what my voice was as a producer because um, I'd sort of been, you know, work when you're working with other people all the time, it's sort of I was losing perspective a little bit on that. And so um, what was great was I got to, you know, on season two, come in and on Atypicals as an independent producer. And I've been doing that for the last three years, um, right. just kind of on my own.
2: Let's talk about voice. That's a that's a great, like, place to kind of sit down for a little bit. Like, what who are you looking to speak to or speak for um when you do a project. And I and I'd be interested in both of your answers because it sounds like you were looking for something more in line with your voice, Mary. Um and Robbie, it seems like perhaps atypical was a shift toward a voice that you wanted to explore more. But like how how would you define that? Who would you identify as like this is the person that if no one watches this, I want them to, you know, the impact of it
0: i mean i think that's something i am constantly figuring out because i feel for even as i say that i'm still working on it because i think for me and, and it might you know as a producer too um it's one of those positions that you know people joke about like what does a producer do because everybody does something different or it's not so clearly defined or there's 15 producers on a project and what does it mean and i think For me, I just want to have something that I connect to and that I feel like a personal, um, you know, relationship with. And that can mean a lot of different things. And I think, um, you know, whether it's as specific as I identify with a character because of something they're going through or just... um, I've I ha I don't know anything about that and I want to I but I want to know I want to see how I can feel something that I'm not necessarily um you know like set up to to identify with if that makes sense that's kind of a poor explanation of it but I it's it's a little bit like I think in finding what it is you know a voice is I think it's really being able for me to just find something to connect to that um,
3: that is specific? Uh, for me, I didn't kind of shift to the voice of Atypical. I feel like I the shift was when I was doing network comedy, and I kind of learned that a little bit. I've always had, like, a, a, a weird little voice, <laughs> like a, a very specific um kind of, my my husband talks about, we were in grad school together, and he talks about like he first knew that he wanted to like get to know me more when he, I wrote some weird play about like two machine parts. One was old and one was new and they were alive and they were like becoming friends and one was dying. And it was, it was very strange. Like I, you know, I wrote a play where a character was just a pile of rocks with a head sticking out and she was like this, (laughs) beautiful woman but she had been like murdered and her friend she was talking to this little girl um for me the sort of odd dark light um tone is a little easier and comes a little more naturally than a sort of down the middle network kind of feeling tone but i uh i think in terms of voice uh I've learned in the last four years with this show how hard this job is and how hard it is to sort of shepherd any project through the way that you want to. And especially when you have a family, it literally comes down to sometimes like putting my child to bed or working, you know? Um, so I, I I, think for me, it's just about like, what is that thing that, I, that gets me so excited and that I like have such a clear, sometimes I get stuck, but I, I always know what the answer is. I always know what the character would do or what the, if, if it's the right project for me, I like, I can tell what that, what it looks like and what it sounds like and what the characters sound like and how they're feeling. And, um, and having somebody like that at the helm. And I know this from working on other people's staff too, makes all the difference in a, in a show or a movie. It, it really like, I think you need that. And I need that in order to find a, to do a project the way I right. want to do it.
2: Right. It's it's so top down, you know, like it, it all filters across um, the entire process. And as somebody who hops from like show to show, uh, uh, well, there's places that I've been over and over again, but like I still have a couple of times a year um, when things are normal where <laughs> where you're like, oh, OK, first time here. And it's amazing how you can there's always just an energy that starts at the top. And trickles down to the way that you know people eat lunch, um, and mm-hmm. it's beautiful when it's when it's a cohesive kind of positive feeling because it's at the end of the day, like we all got into this because it was fun, right? And we wanted to tell stories and we wanted to be around smart, talented people. Um, how do you guys work together? What is that? What's the process like? Like, I've 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 never been in a writer's room. Uh, I've never produced a television show. Like how do you coordinate and kind of uh, form this two-headed, atypical machine?
3: We do everything together. (laughs) Uh, We, I think we really complement each other. And, and, you know, there's a lot of the sort of mechanics of figuring out story and, you know, character and stuff is more me and the other writers, but then I, Mary's the first person that I will send any any creative thing to, to just be like, if I'm too vulnerable to show it to anybody else, it's always her, and it's always her opinion that I trust the most. Um, if she's like, yes, this outline is good, then I believe that I can send it to the other writers and not be <laughs> shaved. <laughs> um, I don't know, that's the t- tiny sliver yeah. of an answer to the question. Yeah.
0: yeah, I think, it, you know, it's fun, though, because I think we like to be a part of everything, you know, both of the whole process. I mean, I before this, I never sat in a writer's room and I love that Rabia lets me do that. And I think it, it mm-hmm. helps me do a better job at producing the show because I know what is happening and what they're thinking. And then I can in turn make hopefully, Robbie's job easier and life easier because I can anticipate things and take care of something over here when she's too busy in the room. And so it works really well, I think, and because we like being a part of it all, um, but also know that it's really hard to be everywhere at once. And so one of the hardest things about our job is when we have to be apart, and one of us has to do one thing while the other does the other. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, for the most part it is cause it is, you know, for anybody who's been in this position or any of our positions, including yours, Pete, there's so much work to do. And there are so many things to get done that it really is such
3: a collaboration that that's no joke. We How you one example is editing. We've really, I feel mm-hmm. like we really have it down in terms of editing. We're always in the room together. I think we bring these complementary skills, and so much of our show gets made in the edit room because we just have gotten that really down. I think
2: that's a that's a really good uh, place to delve in because I I've always wondered, right? Like, I I do a cut uh, two days on a on a half-hour comedy four days on an hour drama and i'm trying to capture the dna of the show while also kind of present my thesis to to some degree um which is only in a few areas where there might be a scene that is maybe unique to the episode or something like that um Mm -hmm. and then you get it and what happens (laughs) (laughs)
3: I could talk about this all day we get it we get it and uh, we do a Google Doc um, and we each have a different color so my notes will be in like purple and Mary's will be in green and um, we put our notes in our timed notes so we take we watch it we take super detailed notes it takes me half a day to do this because I watch it Mm -hmm. twice I watch it first without writing anything down and then I watch it, and I go through, and I do really detailed notes.
2: And this is, of course, on a day where you were free and nothing else was on your schedule, right? <laughs> totally, I cannot remember
3: such a day, but yeah, sure. <laughs> um, and then the editor takes it from there. We have, I think, one of the things we like to do as a team is is hire people that we trust a lot, and then give them freedom. So, um, we we don't micromanage the editors at this process in this part of the process. We micromanage them later. <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah. We try not to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, so we send them their, the notes and then they take, they tell us how long it's going to take and they do a pass at our notes. And, uh, we're very into music on this show. We, the show mm-hmm. has a really specific sound and it's not, um, it's pretty, it's a pretty big range of sounds on our show. Um, so if we have an editor that's great with music, that's helpful. But a lot of, and we actually, most of ours do, but um, also a lot of times we'll just be, you know, we'll send our notes and then on the way home we'll be searching for a song for this one scene and we'll be texting the editor, the, you know, the link to the song or whatever. Um, and then we get a new cut back and we watch it again and we either give another round of notes or we sit in.
2: Got it. Yeah. And how often... uh has there ever been a time where you you've been on like distinctly opposite sides of a, of a, of a creative decision in an edit? I can't,
3: can you,
0: I have one, one, one. 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 I've won because it was was a music thing thing. and it it was the music for the kiss your episode. No, the kiss we had figured out like before the, we even shot that kiss, but, um, you know what I'm talking about? It was your episode when Sam takes a walk, and it was that slow, yes. and we could not we get the out. song. We were
3: on opposite and honestly, sides. We just couldn't find it. We were, we
0: were, we could, we were on opposite sides as far as articulating what it should yeah. be, like it, like emo just, and it was really semantics. But it, we were both trying to feel like an emotion, and one was a little more like light and comedic, and one was a little more emotional. And we couldn't get, it, and our poor composer was like. You know, mm. I think trying to figure out what we were saying, Um and we then we found the song, and it was and it was. But honestly, we did it at the final mix. Like we put that song in at the final mix, and that was the only that was the only that's the only thing I can remember. And we found that song, right? Yeah, yeah. My assistant found,
3: found that it. Song. We, we it was all hands on deck. <laughs> it was, <laughs>
2: that's
3: and that's awesome, a
0: pretty though. minor thing. But yeah, and and yeah, so no, we.
2: But it's, but it speaks to the environment that an assistant could even feel empowered to offer that, you know, like, because that, I, that's not happening everywhere. There's a lot of times they're just typing away, like, oh, they'll figure it out because they know it's not necessarily going to be welcomed.
3: I have a very specific opinion on this. My opinion is if you do not trust your assistant enough to empower them, then you should fire them and let them go find another job where they will be empowered. If if you trust your assistant, then you should empower them. And if you don't, then it's not the right job. Yeah,
2: I, I yeah, I, I could see that on a t shirt. I like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I also think it's just. I mean, look, I was an assistant for a long time, and it is a hard job. And and you're right, Robbie. I do think it's like those those moments. You live for those moments when you can contribute something or have a, like this mm. an opinion about something. And um and like I said, like we wouldn't have found that song i mean we weren't finding it we were we were just banging our heads against the wall and so i think it's you know it just is those kinds of moments are you know really great and important and i hope that i forever work in an environment where any assistant feels like they can speak up and say something because good ideas come from everywhere
3: it just occurred to me mary that we have five writers and three of them were our assistants oh yeah (laughs) that's right that's awesome yeah
2: so what happens? So when when you when you've decided, all right, here's the now that's the producer's cut. Does that go to Netflix next, or like is that what that's airs? That's the studio like, cut.
3: Did... Okay. So that'll yeah. go to Sony and the Netflix. Sometimes if the timeline is rushed, we'll combine them because often um, they just don't give us a lot of notes because we're very. Type
0: A. <laughs> we're very hard on ourselves in post. I mean, and, and right. I think, and a lot of times we won't even give it until we feel really ready to do that. And our studio and network, are, you know, Sony and Netflix are great about that. Because we do always come in on time anyway. So, right. um, yeah, but that's the process. And then we'll we'll do a couple rounds if we have to. But, yeah, it's pretty, once we're happy with it, it usually is pretty
3: fast. And it's it's such a specific show, that it's um if something's not working someone's gonna notice and so when we do get a note that kind of like won't go away it usually ends up making things better
1: right yeah
0: i have to say you know people kind of can complain about the notes process or getting notes or you know that whole thing but for this show and in general especially when you're working with you know good people it only helps. It gives just a little bit more perspective. And even if you don't address the note exactly right, they're flagging something for, y- for you that isn't working. And so taking a look at it and maybe doing something different, which is a lot of times what we do is like, oh, I get kind of what they're saying. That's not the solution, but let's try this. It always ends up making it better.
1: I right,
3: 100% right. agree. I, I, don't like it when somebody tries to solve a problem, but when someone points out a problem, because if they try right, to right. solve it, then I'm blocked and then I'm only thinking of their, their dumb idea. Right. But right. If, <laughs> if they tell me what the problem is, I find it extremely helpful. Um, yeah. 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 And I think too, that, that goes along with what we are talking about with voice in that, like, if you know the show, then you know, like this, solution which is the obvious solution isn't right but like this thing this is the problem and this thing kind of makes right
2: right i've I've got a little theory too like i think there's uh there's value to to great value to notes and even guardrails because a lot of times like some shows kind of hop over or to a place where or some people go to a place where there's less like you can do whatever you want and sometimes Mm -hmm. you're watching you're like i just wish somebody would have been like but why and and had the, and had the ability to like really challenge this thing that was done because it feels like it was just the the quick idea, something that somebody was passionate about, but like under under really detailed scrutiny, it, it doesn't really hold up, but there yeah. was no process around like they could just do what they wanted.
3: I feel like we had a, way more of that in the first season. First seasons are so hard, and then we got to know our show mm. so much better and be like. Yes, we can spend three hours doing that, but we're not going to really use that shot. We tend to use this kind right. of shot or, you know, we know what we use in post. So, like, if you don't have time for the close, 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 we might not. We probably won't use it. So don't do it. Let's right. Just <clears throat> stay here and we're fine.
1: Hey, this is Rob McElhenney and you are listening to Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. How to Succeed as a Creative Professional is Pete Chapman's upcoming book about his journey as a director. What started in 1993 has been a marathon full of persistence and creative pivots. Transitioning from indie filmmaker to teaching at NYU's acclaimed film school, to running a production company, to directing television and commercials, and ultimately eyeing a return to the feature films that gave him his start. A mixture of how-to, self-help, and inspiration, this book will be for any person eyeing a successful career in a creative art. How to Succeed as a Creative Professional is coming soon.
2: So when I was there in season two, I remember you were talking about directing, Rabia. I was? Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and now you are you did, it was Sam Takes a Walk. Um, I watched that a couple times because I wanted to oh dissect what was going on. <laughs> I
1: still get embarrassed.
2: <laughs> I and you know I I thought that um I thought there was a nice motif where you kind of did a uh, you use a creep a, a few times. I think it was an opening shot, you creep back um, from Casey. I think it happened again with um there was a moment with Sam and it just felt like it was a it was a moment where the all, like life was kind of getting away from the characters and the camera was kind of underscoring that. Or maybe it was them needing to catch up to who they wanted to be. Um, was there what what from that experience kind of happened that you're like, oh, that, that was that was supernatural. That was like, I that was a piece of cake. And like on the flip side, was there anything where you were like, oh wow, I I now kind of have a different perspective on what directors uh, have been challenged with. Yeah,
3: I have both of those. Yes. Uh, it was really natural to be working with the crew in that way. It was wonderful. I I mean, I just couldn't, like, I couldn't love the experience more. I couldn't love the crew more. Our DP, Tom, was just, I mean, he's just amazing. Everything just, just, they, everyone was so helpful. The actors were so happy to have me there because I I also feel like sometimes it's a little annoying to have me saying one thing and then I have to tell the director and then the director tells them and then uh and they're kind of like just tell it you know like it felt like a little more direct <laughs> um i don't know and also i knew exactly what i wanted because i know post so well so i it felt very clear like when when i when we were doing that dance number where he thinks about zahid um doing the little i i knew that we needed a close-up on the one guy and I don't know that we would have gotten that otherwise. And it didn't even really occur to me to write that in. Um, So like things like that where I, in the moment, I was like, we definitely need to get this guy. And we used it a ton in post. Um, So that was, uh, that was wonderful and smooth and easy and just lovely. Uh, It takes all your attention so I in in some ways it, it made my life simpler because when I'm running the <laughs> show I'm doing 87 things at once and luckily you know Mary and the rest of the team kind of made it so that like we paused editing for that week
1: mm-hmm. um,
3: I had scripts out of the way I you know and even for my prep I didn't go to set much like I, I missed a couple meetings like it really it's pretty all-encompassing so that I really appreciate that for directors like there's you really can't do much else sort
1: of like show running <laughs> uh
3: also I had a I had a, I was um six months pregnant when I directed for the first time and I ended up in the ER with a heart condition that I didn't know about on the fourth day of my of directing oh wow I know I it was a Sunday night I went in and I I was like i got a 6 a.m call so what am i gonna get out of here so i'm talking to our dp in the um in the wheelchair waiting for the cat scan <laughs> i was like so this is what i am picked if i don't make it in time this is what i'm picturing for the casey and izzy scene <laughs> but uh it so, never stops yeah so it is it, it uh, just the this sort of way it takes over your life in, is it's just a lot
2: yeah and Mary, was there anything that you had to say? Look, we just we don't have the money for that, Robert. We just can't.
1: <laughs> can't do it.
0: No, I was gonna say I, I went to the hospital instead of set. So if that says anything about our relationship, she did.
3: no. Yeah. She <laughs> but uh, a coffee but, uh, and and uh, bagel. At, like, you 6 a.m. or something. It was so sweet. Yeah.
0: No, I mean, but that's the thing. It was really... It was easy and great to have Rabia direct, because, you know, the hardest thing was planning for that time and forcing her not to do other things, which I... That was my job, to make her not do anything else, too. So, um, yeah, it
3: was great. It was it was really nice. We were... Um, when we, we were shooting the end of 307 and the beginning of 308, where... Um, Casey and mm-hmm. Izzy kiss at the end of 307, and then in 308, they're still kissing, and then they come out of it. And it was two mm-hmm. different directors, and um, Annabelle Oakes was shooting 307, and then Ken Whittingham was in doing 308, and he was, we were at um, uh, Canyon College of the Canyons, and uh, right? That's where we were. And he the was track. in these bleachers. Sorry. At the track, yeah. And he was in these bleachers, and he called me up, and I was like, are you okay? Do you need anything? Like, he's getting ready to shoot his thing. He just wanted to go over, like, my episode with me and, like, my it, any shots that I needed to talk about, any, like, list scenes that I wanted to go through with him. He just, like, offered up his time to, like, kind of. Yeah. So then we just chatted about that. But that's sort of my, I mean, he's just the best, but that was sort of my experience throughout is people were so generous with their time and so, like,
2: supportive and loving and it was it was great right yeah ken ken's great ken was one of the three people who signed my dga paperwork me too. and he was like <laughs> he was like come come to the uh come to paramount and just let them know you're here for me and i'm gonna duck out uh from grace and frankie and he just came out he was like <laughs> signed it went back in Bless. i was like thank you um
3: yeah you know when the no- that's another thing when the notary came. She- so I was you know running the show. So my assistant found a notary who would come to the office. So the notary mm-hmm. came to notarize my paperwork, and she she got like teary, and she said, "I've done a lot of these DJ papers, and I haven't done many for women. So congratulations." Mm-hmm. I'm oh, getting teary thinking about it. It was so moving right. and sweet. Yeah.
2: That's I mean it's such a true thing though. I mean I I did um. When I did Silicon Valley, it was the mm-hmm. first show I ever shadowed on. And uh, I'm like, you know, when you when you observe, you don't really meet a lot of people. But I met um, the sound mixer was from NYU. So we had a we had a rapport and uh, we we knew a mutual like legendary teacher. And then the um, digital video assist um, guy was the only like I might have been the only black person on the set. And when I came back and directed four years later, like we had like a little teary-eyed moment because he was like, man, it means a lot, you know? Oh. And, and it's like, it's so impactful. And like, even like the way that you guys hire and make that effort to have diversity in front of and behind the camera and all that and just in your partnership on it, um, it's, it's great because it becomes emblematic and it becomes like a, a thing that can be actualized for people when they haven't seen it before so mm-hmm. it's great um Mary do you do you intend to get into the director's chair
0: <laughs> um not at the moment um it is <laughs> it's 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 funny because even when I was forced to direct in college when I was taking film classes I only made documentaries um because I it's like I I don't know how to direct actors and I'm scared of writing so I'm just gonna do you know docs and um, I don't know. I think the only reason I would do it is if I really wanted to, you know, do something that absolutely terrified me and that I didn't think I would be good at and see what happened. But I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's not, a. it's not, it's not my, my dream necessarily.
2: So before <laughs> we, before we leave the directing conversation, what would, yeah. I'd love from each of you, I'd love to get your insight. Like what are, what are. I don't know if you had one or two points that you think a director should hear from the perspective of your job that would enhance their um, performance and their and their ability to like do their job well.
3: I think that um, especially on a show that's been going for a little while, you don't have to work that hard. You know, the, mm-hmm. trust the actors. I mean, I, I know a lot of people know that, but uh, our actors are so naturally good, and I think they run into problems with a director when someone's giving them. They're naturally good and they're naturally kind, so when somebody's giving them um, advice to go against their instinct, sure. uh, it it's very hard for them, and they want to do. They want to play along and and do what they're being asked. But it, I think that's the really the only time we run into issues is if that happens and I I think sure try stuff like go crazy but let let them do what they think they should do first Um, because the DNA of a show that's been going is is strong and um, it's all there you know everything we need is there so uh, yeah be quick be quick and be kind
0: yeah I agree with that and I think um Yes, I think the other thing is, um, not quite pick and choose your battles, but more like what is the thing that means the most to you coming in as a guest director that you mm-hmm. really believe in, um, knowing that there's a lot that you just have to get to just get to, you know? And I think like knowing that, um, cause for us, we love when people come in and have a really fresh, cool idea. Um, but it's, it's making sure that it feels, um, organic to the moment that's happening in the script and so because otherwise it would really be and, and communicating that with us so I think for for us it's like knowing the plan and what means what's important to you as a director and why and then us being able to say okay we love that idea but for this scene we just want traditional coverage because we know this show and this is how this plays and you just know that all you want is to be like in the this size and whatever so I think use that somewhere right. else and where do you want to use that and I think just like communicating that and not trying to hide anything just to get it because you, you want it to end up in the cut like that's the thing is you lose control of it at a certain point and I think knowing that um, everybody's on the same page about whatever that special thing that you want to bring is is really right. important
3: right. also for our show specifically, and I'm not sure um, I feel like other shows too, but with our show, I think uh, I would think with guest directors, it's almost more important to focus on the comedy because our mm-hmm. actors do so much with their face and the the drama is kind of in the it's built in a little bit in, in the relationships and in the writing. Um, the comedy is the thing. I believe that makes our show our show and it it really, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I once said to Mary, I read a script, somebody had written a script and it didn't have any jokes. And I was like, our show is unbearable without comedy. (laughs) And I feel like um, people call it a drama sometimes or call it a dramedy. And I really do think it's comedy and uh, it's, it's got heart and it's got drama and it's got like intense moments and it's got like love and emotion, but it, it is not; it's not itself without its sense of humor. And if a director doesn't have that, they can't direct our show. I don't think. And and I think if you're gonna sit down and like prep for an episode of our show, I think you start with the the comedy. All right.
2: What have been some of your favorite moments on this journey? Mm. Hmm. Or if you want to, I don't know. Do you can you can you pick a favorite episode? I found that people can't really do that cuz they're like all their favorite children.
0: I know, right? We've talked about this before, but that scene um you know with when Casey and Sam are in bed in season 1 and snow falls down on them is a really magical scene and moment between brother and sister. Um you know the shooting of that there's always like the thing that the magic that happens on screen and then all the things that it took to put it together and the stress and you know the the time it messed up and all that but um you know i think the there's there's just moments where you sit there and are emotional because what's happening is so special um yeah i have one uh yeah
3: season two the first time we did the support sam's support group or sam's yeah. um group at school with the the other autistic actors it we had no idea what to expect and we were super excited but uh i i don't think we knew how wonderful they would be as actors and how sort of emotional it would all feel but also funny and like sweet and new like nothing you've seen before um and casey wilson played plays uh, miss whitaker who runs the group and we, uh, it was like a very different character before we thought of her. I think it was a guy before we yeah. thought of her. And then we came to Sony and we're like, we think her. Um, and it all just was kind of magical and beautiful and worked together really well. And um, I, Elaine Hall is a woman who works at the Miracle Project where a lot of these um, actors came from. And I said like, Elaine, they're really good actors. Like she was like sort of thanking us the whole time. And I'm like, you don't need to thank us. Like they're, they're incredibly good actors. And she said something to the effect of like, they kind of act all the time in life a little bit. Cause mm. they're like, you know, they're, mm. they're trying to sort of just kind of be what the situation needs them to be. Um, right. and yeah, so, uh, uh it was that was a really we, we like took pictures afterwards and Kier was so excited yeah. and it was just that that was a really fun scene to shoot
2: the commitment to like <clears throat> representation and authenticity is great and uh and and it, it, was it um pardon me if i because i'm thinking about his instagram handle <laughs> um but david finch yeah i'm
1: thinking
2: i'm thinking finch Instagram but uh but like that was <laughs> That was so important to me, like to just be able to look at his noted script and understand Mm. what the thought process is for um, Sam or for any of the characters and and how they're kind of like calculating these moments and and, and trying to uh, just compute what is being, uh, that's not the word, but like just trying to figure out like how to process just like we all are, but there's like a specificity to it that was really helpful. Um, and Kier's amazing. I mean, kills it. Kier's
0: amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it um, is. It's you know we we do make an effort to sort of you know like you said like have representation on screen and behind the camera too. But um, you know this in season three we you know all the time watch casting for different roles and a lot of times we we've we've in the past just told our casting directors like. Bring in people who are on the spectrum for any role. And, you know, same with also any disability for any role. Um, And one time we were watching for this tiny little role, this woman came on and she, um, her name's Tall, and she was great. She wasn't right for the role at all, but Rabia saw her and was like, she's amazing. I need to write something for her. And then she Mm -hmm. ended up being Sid, who's a character that recurs in season three and hopefully season four. But, you know, what was so cool is that she, just brought herself to this, you know, to the, to the screen. And she's now a part of the show in a way that, you know, wouldn't have happened if we hadn't just seen her audition for a tiny little thing.
3: She read for, yeah, one line role and she ended up, she's she was in two or three episodes last season. And then, yeah. yeah,
2: That's awesome. Yeah. So here, here's the lightning round portion of uh, okay. of, our, of our podcast. <laughs> um, I'm going to, I have a few, and I'm going to pick. I like this one. I think this is an interesting one. Uh, two people dead or alive that you'd Uh-oh. like to have over for dinner. Uh, and what about their story? It's a would pandemic. You learn?
3: Anyone. <laughs> Literally anyone. You two, please.
0: <laughs> Anybody, I know. Oh, I'm terrible at these questions. Robbie, you have to go first. <laughs> I'm not great
3: at this either, but uh, two people dead or alive I'd love to have over for dinner.
1: We're
3: dead. Uh, I was just talking about her today, so maybe that's why, but my grandmother, I feel like mm. I, my, my ummy John, who is my dad's mom. So she, um, she's like the first person in her, uh, town to go to college. She grew up in Lahore. She was this amazing woman. She like, she was, she like ran across the border like literally ran during the partition of India and in Pakistan with like three children with her like she she's just like she's a badass but in my life I always um she just never really approved of me and we never really got along. I was like
1: mm-hmm.
3: like I I was not girly enough and I you know it, there, we had just the gender thing. She was so rigid about what girls should be like and I wasn't and I uh, I don't know as many matter today and I was like she has, she probably has so many cool stories and she passed away a couple years ago. And I, I feel like we'd been the same age and not related. We would have been best friends and it's something that I hadn't really thought about much before today, but uh, I wouldn't mind her coming over for dinner and not as my grandma, but just like as a
1: person.
2: Yeah. That's beautiful.
1: Oh, thanks.
3: (laughs) Um, One more. Do I need to do one more?
2: that, that I, that's that's a that's only a that's one a, person meal that, that's a
0: really good one like i yeah. can't say anything now by the way <laughs> that is like by one of my dead grandparents who i met um but because of that, I actually won't, because as you were saying, I was like, oh, my grandma. But I had a really amazing relationship with my grandmother, and I feel, like, very connected to her. So that is, um, whereas my grandfather, who I didn't really know, that would be interesting. But this is, this is the opposite answer of what you just said, but it's on my mind, which is, you know, Hamilton's coming out on uh, Disney this weekend, <laughs> and not yeah. to plug them, but I was blown away when I saw that in the theater. And that kind of goes back to, I didn't even realize that theater was something that I've been connected to so much as a kid, but that show is a work of art. And if I could sit with Lin-Manuel Miranda, you know, and just pick his brain or hear about what, where he even begins Mm. to think about telling stories and in the way that he does, I would just, be so interested to hear him talk about it at a dinner table. I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, videos of it, but it is like a, it is just to be in the presence of someone like that and get right. to know them and feel like that intimate sort of conversation, um, with something that
3: I loved so much. So, awesome. yeah. My other person is Mary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can have like a distance hang, uh, Couple days ago in her backyard with wine, but we have not been able to. I like, know. Uh, we, we haven't been able to sit like in a dim restaurant, just the two of us, and yeah, I know. Some oysters. It's
0: it's,
2: it's coming soon. I feel like uh, whether whether it's safe or not, the world's just gonna be like, hey, see what hey. happens.
1: That already uh,
3: happened, though. That did, I, that happen. did, did happen. That, yeah, yeah, that, that, did, that did happen. Yeah, that did happen. we're going backwards. Now we taking the place for that happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
2: it's super crazy. Um, well, the, la- the last one would be, um, who do you think should be a guest on this show?
0: Your show? Mm. Yeah,
2: someone that you know, someone you might be able to introduce me to, you know? But uh, just from your, like, you know, do you like to kind of you know, they're, they've are they got a story to share or they'd be a good conversationalist or whatever it might be.
3: Um, I think you might like Brian Tannen. He wrote on the first season of our show. He's an old friend. He recently ran Love, Simon. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a delight. He's just a, a really fun person to talk to and also a writer and just a wonder. I just awesome.
2: Brian Tannen. mm mm-hmm.
3: I was going to say Barack Obama. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I Why don't you should
2: say that? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I thank you both for taking the time. I know you've got a uh, writer's room four to get back to. Um, but this has been really awesome. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing season four, I guess. Well, when, when will that uh, come out? 2021?
3: Yeah. Don't uh, know. You know, it's so hard to say when anything's gonna be shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but I don't
0: know. Well, it won't be twenty twenty, that's for sure. Cause we will probably be shooting later. If we if we can, we'll shoot when it's safe later in the fall, potentially. So we'll see. Um but yeah, awesome. hopefully early next year.
2: Well, I'll be watching and I'm sure many others will too. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah.
2: What's up, people? This is Pete Chapman. Follow me on Instagram and on Twitter via at Pete Chapman. Follow the pod on Facebook on our Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman official page and hit up our mailbag with questions, suggestions, or hey, donations if you're feeling like it via letsshootwithpetechapman at gmail.com. And just in case you need to know how to spell it, that's Pete with the last name C-H-A-T-M-O-N. All right, that was Rabia Rashid and Mary Rolick, the team behind A Typical. I'm plotting on a very special director-focused episode 10, where I'm gonna get into the nitty gritty of what I do in my job. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, next week, we welcome Mr. Romani Malko, whom you may know from A Million Little Things. But uh, coming up next week also will be the release of his feature directorial debut, Tijuana Jackson, Purpose Over Prison. And we'll get into the conversation about that film, how it came to be. I learned that he created that character in 1999. I thought it only, uh, not even only, I thought it was born in 2011 uh, through a funnier Die sketch, but that was 11 years later than when he began it. And now the feature film is out in 2020. So the hustle and the journey is real. Um, as always, I wanna say thank you to my wife, Kelly McCreary on that voiceover work. I wanna thank Tristan Nash, my producer and editor and i want to thank jada george my talented assistant and with that folks i offer you or i demand that you stay safe stay blessed and spread love peace